Hi, I'm Lex Marinos, and... Hello, I'm Patricia Ramflett. You're listening to Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century, across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Each week we chat with leading health, lifestyle, finance and fitness experts about how to get the most out of life as we age. Plus we talk with well-known and not-so-well-known Australians of all generations about the issues that affect them. So tune in and... Get connected. connected. Stay connected. Now this will be a good show today. Lex Marinos and I, I'm Patricia Amphlett. We've got some terrific guests and lovely topics. We're countering ageism with Joel Pringle. Now that's a huge topic these days. Mm. We've heard of sexism, all kinds of things, but ageism affects all of us. Oh yes, it does. And Nostalgia Town, Patricia, who's taking us there? Ah, good mate of mine, John Williamson. Old man emu. That's right. True blue. Oh, mm. fabulous. Mm. Looking forward to that. I don't know about buying shares, so Rachel Waterhouse. She'll tell you all about it. And stepping out, we're going the other side of the continent to Perth with Lowell Winchcombe and mm. Capital Radio in Perth. Another good week. On Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century. We are speaking with an old friend, and I don't mean that he's old in numbers of years, but he's a fabulous friend of Baby Boomer's Guide, and he has been for lots and lots of years, and so as every age counts, who are the people that Joel Pringle is going to talk about? He's an advocacy campaigner, and he's going to tell us about a recent report from the Australian Human Rights Commission, which found that 90% of us agree that ageism exists, and 83% agree that it is a problem, not just in the older age groups, but in every age group. And uh, I'm sure that Joel will tell us how we could do wonders in this area and, and improve things if only we had more intergenerational conversations. One of its frontline workers has been and is Joel Pringle, a specialist in community development, social and consumer policy. He's been working as an anti-ageism advocacy campaigner with Every Age Counts for the last five years. G'day, Joel. How are you? Very good, buddy. I I remember Joel as a musician, though. Well, this is very sad, you know. I, I think he should be also called a musician, even though he says he's hung up his sticks and his brushes. But... Joel, in just an earlier generation, he graduated from the Conservatorium of Music, which is really not easy to do. So he's the real deal. Yep. And he's a percussionist of a note. A percussionist? So he's not even a real musician? <laughs> oh, oi! Hey, 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 steady on. Hey, steady hey, on. hey, this is a fight <laughs> oh, now. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, Joel, how did you go from being a fabulous musician to being a fabulous ageism advocate? Uh, thank you, Patty and Lex. That's a very kind introduction of you. Um, yes, probably not a very well-trodden path, is it, I guess? Um I, well, I studied as, as a musician and played for a long time. It's been a little while, I admit. Um, but I, I studied teaching as well. I knew it wasn't kind of what I was doing. From so, But what do you do? What do you do then? Because it's a great degree and a fantastic, wonderful place to study the conservatorium. Um, so I went into becoming a youth worker. That was my step out into the community work and working in um, various communities, including a number of public housing estates across Sydney. Um, and in that work, I worked with a, a great array and diversity of people in those communities, um, but including a lot of older people, mm-hmm. a lot of older people who had not been on the, the or had not been given the best run or support and uh, were now you know, a really key, strong part of those communities and recognised within it but not necessarily given the support that they needed to live a really wonderful best life uh, in terms of like, you know, incomes and, and housing security and so on. Okay. Okay. So, Joel, let's get down to, let's get down to brass tacks. What is ageism? Has it always existed? Is it worse now than it ever was? Is it worse because we live longer? What is it? The way we understand ageism, and you have to have a definition that you're working from, but ageism against older people because we're well, ageism is experienced across age groups we work the every age counts campaign with on ageism experienced by older people 
that ageism against old people is the stereotyping, discrimination and mistreatment of people based solely on age. Now, arguably, it's been around for a long time. It's always been there, but it's only quite new that we're aware of it. And it's certainly very new that we decide that we don't accept it and we need to do something about it. You know, it's, it's one, a lot, one of the list of isms um, that we, over time, you know, attitudes change. Racism is not acceptable. Um, discrimination against people on, the, uh, on their gender is not acceptable. Uh, and we're saying now ageism is something that we need to say, that's not okay. We need to challenge our own beliefs, ourselves, that we all hold, mm. and look at the ways in which society reinforces them. And it's almost an encouraged thing at times, isn't it? I, I mean, you wouldn't... I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, there's an older member of the staff in which I work who's just incredible in every way, but he forgot to do something and one of the students said, oh, I must be losing it. And we all knew what it meant. It was a very demeaning thing to say. And I thought we would never say that about a young person who forgot to do his homework, would we? But it, it's it's so applied to older members of our community. And terms like over the hill um, and when a woman is older, you know, the derogatory remarks that happen, you know, we've got to stop all that, haven't we? We must. Yeah. I think you've touched on it there, Patty, because so many of these comments are made, they're not made intentionally to say something mean or say something hurtful, but it's just part of our lexicon, right? It's the way we, we, we've talked to each other for years and decades and hundreds of years, but that doesn't make it okay. doesn't mean that there are ne mm. neg not negative um, outcomes from that. Mm. Does it operate, Joel? Is it, is, is it like racism in, insofar as casual ageism or is, is rife? And it's, uh, but it's just as harmful yeah. as whether it's intentional or not. You know, and this mm. idea that, oh, I'm just a joke, I was just making a joke about it, of course I don't feel like that, but it's just as hurtful. Mm, very. That's all right. That's right. And partly because we all, no matter how old we are, we've internalised these attitudes ourselves. And so as we start to get older and feel older ourselves, we start to feel that about ourselves. So then you have somebody who you know, a friend, a colleague, a family member who reinforces those negative attitudes that you might be starting to feel about yourself. And then you start to limit your own opportunities. You might start to yourself, say to yourself, I'm too old for that. I don't deserve that. I don't, it's okay for me not to be offered that form of healthcare just because of my age. But mm. objectively, let's stand back and we say, no, that's not okay. That's not really mm. it. Yes, I think some people do uh, put it on themselves just like that. Uh, um, particular industries are probably more unforgiving of age than others, but just on a uh, what I think is a forgiving maybe generally speaking, or, or quite often, music is um, pretty good at, you know, a great older musician plays a wonderful solo and younger people in an audience cannot help but be impressed. Uh, so that's a good example of intergenerational uh, good stuff. Um, but are there many other industries that ages, that it's so we are kind to each other like that? Yeah, I, th I think that's, you know, those examples where we have um, the experience and skills that have developed over time and then engagement between younger musicians, as you say, and older musicians is really fertile. That's great. That's a wonderful mm. example of where people look beyond those attitudes. Um, but, you know, very close to the music industry is the entertainment industry. We worked with um, the amazing Monica Trapiga. Um, she was our... Uh, she worked with us for Ages of Awareness Day in October 1 last year. Um, she was our ambassador. And Monica kind of opened up on the day. In, in all the lead up to, to planning for Ages of Awareness Day, she hadn't really said much. But on the day of Ages of Awareness Day, she talked about the discrimination she'd had uh, in some of her roles on television, where she was told, I'm sorry, well, you're too old now for those roles. Um, oh, man, I get it all the time. Yeah. And, and we can't, of course... Uh, and, and, and we see similar things in, in marketing industries and, um, and even just in, in workplaces, in retail and, and things across the board, it, it can happen. Mm. Um, but we can't split that away from there's all, you know, ageism is experienced differently 
by everybody. Mm. There's a gendered aspect to it too. Ageism is experienced differently by, by women than it, is, than it is men. It's experienced differently by people from different cultures and within different cultures too. Mm. So, yes, there are particular industries and spaces there where it might be more obvious, but mm. it's really something across society we need to look at. But, you know, it's, uh, I mean, Paddy quite rightly mentions uh, music industry and you mentioned Monica's um, travails. Uh, but I'm just, I suppose what I'm working towards is, is there any point where it is acceptable? Because kind of in the, in the acting business, it's very prescriptive about what they're looking for. You go, you know, they, it's, it's, it's quite ageist and deliberately so because they're looking for a character between the ages of, you know, they'll give a character description for a casting call and they'll say from 40 to 50 or, you know, from 17 to 20. Or, you know, an older man, you know, so it is, I mean, that's their business is to say we want people of a specific or appear to be at a specific age. Lex, are you suggesting, like I would, that producers, directors need to be absolutely more reflective of what society really is, not just a bunch of... Well, I just think it operates, Patty. It just operates, it's just a given, you know. It's one of the reasons you don't get a role, for whatever reason, is because you're too old or you're too young. Right. You know, and that's an easy way to shuffle people off. Yeah, it's and Maybe they have been kind of saying, no, you're... Your audition stake, you were crap. Mm. You know, so we, we'll, we'll ease you down gently by saying, well, you know, we were looking for someone younger. <gasps> oh, wow. I don't know. Joel, what, what, any comments? No, I, I think you're right. And part of the challenge is that um, not everything that looks or feels like ageism may necessarily be discrimination. Um, so we go back to what yeah. is ageism? It's, um, it's uh, uh, you know, going into the examples that you give, uh, there are specific jobs and roles that need specific skill sets, and um, if somebody needs needs to meet those skill sets, that you know that's quite legitimate. It's not necessarily just an age based thing, but if somebody makes an assumption about your ability to fulfil that role based on your age, without okay. really looking at your audition or your skills or your career mm. up to the point, that's ageism. If somebody makes an, uh, an assumption, for example, if there's a, there is a market for a television program and, and, and uh, programs that do include older representation of, of older people in them, um, but that market isn't being met because of assumptions of producers. Sorry, our audience only wants yeah, yeah. younger because mm. younger is sexy and younger is connect. Sure. Well, that's ageism. Uh, but, um, yeah, so we, ca- we need to have diversity, uh, and that's people across all age groups, um, but we need to challenge the assumptions where decisions are being made. Indeed. Do we have ageism concerns in health and control over life decisions, And uh, do you think? Yeah, that's a really fascinating discussion to open up, Patty, because we can't talk about ageism and health without talking about COVID. I know we're all over talking about COVID by now, um, mm. but one thing that globally really, you know, hit the nail on the head for people understanding what ageism was, was when we saw front pages in New South Wales, you know, um, some of the top journalists writing that older people have had a good run. <laughs> it's okay that they don't have uh, that they don't have access to treatment that people of different age groups have. Mm. It wasn't that painful to feel. And I think Australians in general kind of rejected that and weren't very happy about it. But we still had decisions being made on how people were treated in aged care, um, whether they had access to the mainstream medical um, services, for example, based on a, val- a different valuing of um, the lives of older people compared to the rest of the community. Mm. So, yeah, absolutely, there were ageist decisions made in there. It was a, mm. There were choices being made um, on how resources in the healthcare system were allocated. So, so Joel, how, how should one react when you see... Uh, when you see ageism operating in a specific instance, what's the appropriate reaction? Yeah, the first thing is, um, and, and it can only be done when you feel safe and, and depends who, who you're talking to and those sorts of things, but if you can, you should call it out. You don't need to do so aggressively, but you can, it's, it is safe to say, look, uh, what you have said impacts me in this way. What you have said 
that's that I it feels ageist to me. Mm. But you know that's not always easy. We we actually run a, a training program for people. It's called the Every Age Counts Advocates Program, which it's it's like a six week six module p- bit of training that people can check out, um, and it goes through how to have conversations that change people's biases because it's hard to change. Mm people's attitudes around around this stuff, mm. um, how to have conversations that are influential around um, challenging ageism. Uh, so that's that's one of the things that people can do to really build up their confidence and skills to challenge. Does legislation work? Legislation works. Legislation sends a signal around um, what uh, can and can't happen um, in the community, but it doesn't work in all cases. For example, we have human rights protections in Australia, and yet we still get uh, discrimination in the workforce and employment mm-hmm. um, process, that sort of thing. That's one of the reasons that we have a new campaign for Every Age Counts, a new focus around uh, supporting, and saying the Australian government needs to support a new UN convention on the rights of older persons. Mm-hmm. Australian government's been um, largely absent in this, but need to, it's time we have a new government. It's need, they need to step up and get involved in these UN processes mm-hmm. because the rights of older people aren't adequately protected by general human rights um, legislation instruments because of ageism. They're not applied. The law isn't applied equally. So we know that your organisation, Every Age Counts, advocates for the Australian government to support a proposed United Nations Convention on the Rights of Older People. And, of course, we, Baby Boomers Guide to Life in the 21st Century, is it a matter of gathering lots of groups of concerned people and taking that to the government? How, do we, how are you going to go about that? Yeah, so, I mean, there are, you know, some specialists working in this space already, academics and some who have been advocating this and involved, Australians who have been involved in the international process. But we need to convince um, our government, whoever they are, to step up and get involved. So um, we, for example, have a petition on our website, everyagecounts.org.au. People can go to and they can sign that petition to show support. When you sign that petition, you also uh, start to receive communications from us about the Human Rights Convention and campaigns that we can do to, um, or things that we can do to campaign for that to happen. And that, as you say, Patty, it's all of our voices coming together because governments reflect the community's attitudes. The website for Every Age Counts is everyagecounts.org. Dot au. Okay. And if you, there's, there's a great amount of information on there about ageism and understanding ageism and how you can get involved in, in challenging mm. ageism. And under a tab called Actions at the top, um, there's some activities you can do and you'll see a human rights uh, uh, petition there. And Joel, you mentioned uh, earlier on that one of the antidotes to ageism is intergenerational engagement. How, uh, what are some of the best examples of that? How does that work in the, in the, on practical terms, how does that work at the workplace, at home, uh, within social context? How can you how can you encourage that to flourish? That was one of the the one of the fascinating um, findings from the research that we did to start this campaign was that uh, the amount of interaction we have with between older people and younger people in our family lives, in our friendships, in our workplaces, is one of the indicators of whether we're likely to hold ageist views or more. More interaction, less ageist we are. Um, Mm. So uh, partly it's to say that how do we do that in the workplace? Well, we make sure that we have intergenerational Mm. workforces. We have older workers working with younger workers. Mm. Um, so we don't discriminate to, to achieve that. Then we stop discriminating against older workers. Mm. And then before we have an, inter, uh, an intergenerational workplace. And socially, similar sorts of things. Um, we, we have spaces where older people and younger people can interact and, and do so both casually, um, but, but, but also can, can get together for more formal activities together as well. It's so obvious, isn't it? I mean, a, a healthy workplace with older people, younger people, people in the middle, it's too obvious and yet people don't often do that. Is there a final message you'd like to give to our listeners who are definitely baby boomers and uh, and they're terrific baby boomers? Yeah, you, really a wonderful audience you have. I just want to say too before we wrap up that we love your program. Oh. oh, well, we love your program as well. <laughs> and we'll definitely, um, you know, 
be supporting um, sharing that, this amongst our audience as well. Um, but you know what I want to say is um, ageism isn't something we have to accept, um, but mm. it's not going to end unless we do something about it. So I, I just encourage those who are interested to check out some more information on the Every Age Counts website. And if it interests you, if it suits the sorts of things you want to do, get it, come and get involved. There's plenty of opportunities to, to, to do that. Um, and, and as Lex said previously, having conversations with the people around you about ageism and trying to overcome it. That's the best thing we can do because mm -hmm. the government won't change until society changes uh, its attitudes around getting older and being older and older people. Well, Lex and I figure that there's a, probably a drum kit in the background there and we'd yes. better let you go, Joel. And, and, uh, <laughs> drum roll and a cymbal crash. <laughs> yeah, boom, boom. Uh, look, Joel Pringle. Joel, thanks. Every, yeah, Every Age Counts, uh, it's terrific friends of Baby Boomers Guide and we hope you will continue to be so. Thank you for all that lovely information. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Every Age Counts. See ya. And now it's time to have a cuppa in Jeff's Cafe where people of different ages talk about the theme and interview of the day. And welcome again to Jeff's Cafe, where we are going to talk about the interview that we've just heard on ageism and intergenerational conversation with Joel Pringle from the Every Age Counts organisation, wonderful organisation, great friend of this show. Uh, and today our guests are brought to you by the letter L, we have Lucille from Summerhill, who is aged somewhere between 62 and 100,000. Uh, Lockie. <laughs> <laughs> Lockie from uh, Wright, who uh, formerly the um, uh, station manager at community radio station 2RRR and a great friend of the show. And Lockie is joining us today. Lockie is aged somewhere between 18 and 39. And Lorellen. Uh, from Ichuka, also uh, through EMFM Ichuka. Uh, Lorellen is aged somewhere between 40 and 61. Thank you very much for joining us today. Now, uh, we, we've just been listening to uh, Joel speak about ageism and intergenerational conversation, but lucky, surely, what's the point of talking to an older person when they're so boring and vacuous? <laughs> good question, Jeff. It's a good question. Um, Look, I may be someone who's different in opinion to the rest of people in my generation, but I have a particular fascination in talking to people of the older generation. Um, I've got, you know, grandparents that are still alive and um, during lockdown last year when there wasn't much to do, took it as a, a job of mine to find out a bit more about them. And so I've had many conversations with them. I find it very interesting hearing about um, their upbringings, how they view the world. And, you know, I'd say there's a lot of interesting things that they have to share. And, you know, I think each person has something interesting to say, but I love a good intergenerational conversation, especially at Jeff's Cafe. So, yeah, I <laughs> find it very interesting. I'd love to hear what everyone else here has to say about talking to my generation potentially. Are young people boring? Not at all. Not at all, uh, Lachlan. Not at all. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky to have uh, four grandchildren who, um, uh, unfortunately, none of them are in Sydney. Three, one in one in Germany, one in Canada, one in New Zealand, and one in Wagga. But I also had the privilege of working with young people, so I sort of managed to escape that ageism really in my life, um, having worked in aged care, so most of the staff were younger. Because I worked until I was 77, um, most people didn't realise I was that age. So therefore, I had the reverse, really. When people find out my age, they say, oh, my goodness, I didn't know you were that old because I was doing things that different to what most older people do. So, or that stereotype of the older person that's a bit doddery and silly and forgetful and 
Um, so I've managed to escape that, but it, but I've, I've experienced ageism mm. <laughs> many times, many times. It's such a cool topic, isn't it? To talk about something like this, especially yes. in this day and age, you know, like my grandparents respected their elders and so forth. And I don't know if ageism existed back then, but geez, you so, you see it so much now. My professional job is in recruitment and I see ageism all over the place and I talk to people um, who are experiencing that and, yeah. It's, it's awful. It worries me because I think, well, I'm not, you know, I'm 13 years off being 60. What are they, are they going to think that I can't lift a box or that I can't, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm the fittest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it is awful when, for me, when I, I've got white hair and I have white hair because um, I used to dye my hair, but I've been developed an allergy to the dye. So oh. I have no choice. So I have to have white hair. You know, if you go in, you've just been to the doctor and you go into the chemist, you consistently get asked if you're a pensioner. Um, whereas I think if you're a pensioner, you would be giving your card and you would be telling people, you know, they're trying to put you into a box consistently. But I have one little test that I do, not so much lately because I haven't been going to the city as often as I I used to regularly go to the city. And I would walk into um, a large department store and they often have young women there standing um, that will give you um, a spray of perfume. And I would walk past and smile at them and they would just ignore me. And I would turn around and walk, go back and do it again and they would still ignore me. So I think that was a absolute classic ageism because they've made the assumption that I'm an older person, so therefore I wouldn't want to have this nice, sexy perfume. So, um, wow. <laughs> So I haven't done it for a while because um, I don't know that they're standing around offering you cards since COVID. That's sort of not quite so. But there is um, certainly a perception that older people um, are different and we're not, um, we don't engage in the same sort of things as, or maybe like the same sort of things as younger people. This episode, I loved when they talked about the entertainment industry and, you know, that was just so interesting to me because have you guys been watching The Celebrity Apprentice? No. Oh, okay. So Gene Kitson is on it and there's this other guy, Ronnie, and he, um, there was a, a conversation that was taking place with some executives and Gene Kitson had said something that Ronnie didn't like and he said, oh, don't worry about her. She's got dementia. <gasps> and this was on television. I couldn't believe it. And it, it was a big deal. It's been in the media and everything. You know, I just was like, how can this happen? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like one of the things that I took away from listening to the interview was that it's almost just a part of the way in which we communicate. It's kind of, you know, you don't even recognize it when you're saying it, but I seem to notice it when people kind of use it as a way to dismiss perspectives of other people and it helps to validate their own perspectives, but mm-hmm. um, that doesn't really help each person develop an understanding and to sit in the shoes of another. I know one of the kind of terms that was thrown around, I think recently it formed as a a bigger term than it used to be, okay, boomer, the boomer Mm. term. And that's thrown around um, even for people that aren't even a part of the baby boomer generation. It's just a term used by people, particularly in the younger generations, to go, well, you're not in my age bracket and your opinion doesn't matter because you're a boomer. And that's not helpful. And that is, um, you know, a, a form of ageism. And it doesn't really help people who are um, of an older age want to have that conversation with younger people because they're kind of putting their hand up and saying, we don't want to hear it. And that's never useful. I think that's their rite of passage to be able to say they're a baby boomer. That's, you know, that is the generation that they're from and they should wear that with a badge of honour. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a generation that has, you know, been through a lot and has seen a lot. Each generation has, um, traits to it that make it different from another. And to dismiss a generation based on age is not, not appropriate and it's not useful 
um, in any way because... What do you reckon is, is the thing to overcome it? Have you seen that? Um, sorry, and bringing it back to entertainment because this whole episode made me think so much about what I see on TV and what I hear in the media. And the media has so much about the way we think. But that old people's home for four-year-olds? Oh, yes. Yeah. And they had the kindergarten taking place. Wasn't that an incredible program? Yes. And it made, it made me think that, like, it's almost like we need to have that kind of really early in, in people's lives to build up that appreciation. And especially, I mean, ch- some children don't have grandparents or older people around them. No. And, and sometimes the grandparents these days are a lot older. I was very mm-hmm. lucky. I was a grandpa- grandmother at 49. So um, I've had my grandchildren now in their well into their 20s. So um, I think... I've had the absolute privilege of being part of their lives because living very close and, uh, and being able to engage with them to the point that, um, my granddaughters particularly, um, have been travel buddies with me, you know, they've, um, and they're the best travel buddies you can ever have, you know, because they can do everything and they do it for you. I'll do that grandma. I'll do that grandma. (laughs) So, I mean, that started with family holidays that we had every year. So I think our grand, my grandchildren and I have had this amazing relationship that that's continuing now, even that they're overseas, they still phone me. And when they phone, they'll be on the messenger for like 45 minutes or an hour and I'm running out of things to talk about because when you don't see them you're not quite as engaged in their lives but I think it's lovely that they still do it but I suppose a lot of this comes from how we're raised and how we how our lives pan out and I think there's many ways that I feel I've been very privileged and very, very lucky. I mean, because more in the old family set up where you have grandparents nearby and, and the next generation. So my grandkids grew up thinking grandmothers and grandfathers could do anything. So, um. Interesting. You know, our brains are wired to always be telling us stories. So it, like, even when you don't know that you're doing it, you're telling yourself a story all of the time. And so it's like, how do you change that narrative? Like how do you, I don't know, get a whole community, a whole world to program the way they're thinking about things to eliminate that discrimination? Yeah. Well, I think that what we're trying to do with this show is to use the very powerful tool of intergenerational conversation to combat ageism. The more that we have, the less ageist we are. The the evidence is very, very clear. So thank you all very much. Um, Lucille from Summer Hill, uh, Lockie from Ride, and thank you very much for joining us, Lorellen from Ichuka. Thank you very much, the three of you, for joining us today on Jeff's Cafe, and let's get together again, all of us, across the generations. Maybe see you, see you next time. Bye. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Jeff. And now it's time for Nostalgia Town, where we speak with well-known older Australians about the journey they took that makes them the person they are today. What a pleasure it is to uh, have this very special person to take us to Nostalgia Town today. He's a legendary country and folk singer-songwriter, John Williamson A.M., He enjoys a special connection to the Australian bush, which he has celebrated in music for more than 50 years. A multi-instrumentalist, he is best known for his hit True Blue. John Williamson has sold in excess of 4 million albums. In 1992, he was recognised with the Member of the Order of Australia Medal for service to Australian country music and for stimulating awareness of conservation issues. He is an ARIA Hall of Famer. He's won, wow, 26 Golden Guitar Trophies and three ARIA Music Awards. A big welcome to you, John. Hi, Patricia. How are you? Long time no see. Long time no see. And I think COVID might have had a lot to do with uh, all of us (laughs) being solitary for what seems to have been an eternity. So I know that neither of us has done much work in the last couple of years. So uh, what have you got going on in your life at present? Uh, Well, back to normal now, uh, Patricia. I, I didn't uh, miss out on that much, I felt. By, uh, it, Gee, I, you're lucky. I was, I was thinking of winding back anyway, so uh, it gave me a chance to see what it was like uh, with less work. So I, I quite enjoyed it. I've got a farm up uh, above the Gold Coast, so I, I developed a lot of things there. Mm. Uh, but my last show recently was in my shed. We do a big 
we do a, t- a long weekend in my shed <laughs> uh, with 200 people each, Wonderful. each day. And uh, all my Australiana collection is in the shed, so there's a lot from to look at. And it's in one of the most wonderful valleys in Australia than uh, looking over the number bar. Is it a good time to to look backwards a little bit and just, uh, you know, take, do a bit of stock taking? Where did it all start for you? Where did you grow up? Where? What were your early influences? When did you think, that's what I want to do? Uh, well, it was always my, my main hobby, I think. My dad played banjo. For a start, I lived in Quambatook, which is uh, a little town below about 36 miles at the time. <laughs> I don't know how many k's it is, uh, below the Murray River, below Swan Hill, Quambatook. And uh, my mum and dad were always involved in the musical things in town, which wasn't any big time, but still dad played banjo. They both had their voices trained so they could, uh, they, could they had beautiful voices. And music was really, you know, it, it was where our life was around music other than being wheat farmers, you know, but uh, that was how we uh, had a good time was, playing music mm. and I learned my dad taught me to play the ukulele when I was very young I taught myself to play harmonica probably about the age of six like the music was actually you know American musicals mainly I think that they that mum and dad got involved in mm. um, my dad even ended up singing a local production of Pirates of Penzance in in Swan Hill he was a, a very nice <laughs> very nice tenor mm. um, yeah so but it, but it wasn't until I went to boarding school in Melbourne that I got into the folk scene and I picked up a guitar and I was about 12 before that. And uh, it was folk music that really got to me. I was never into rock and roll being a Mallee boy. So what about your favourite movies and films? Were you a typical teenager in boarding school? Did you like the usual movies or Well, not? when it comes to music, I, you know, it was Oklahoma and South Pacific and all those sort of things when I was younger. Movies, oh, I don't know, how do you pick your favourite movies? I, I remember seeing Psycho when I was at school. <laughs> it affected me badly. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Old man Emu could have had a totally different ending. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes, Take well, a shower. <laughs> now, you've made many, 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 many trips around Australia over the years have you got a favourite state or is it just you love the lot? You know, they're all different. You know, as long as the people turn up, I'm having a good time, you know, and they're still That's turning it. up. I, I tell you what, I think I'm made more fuss of in West Australia. I think, you know, that when you go over there, it's like being an overseas artist. You know, they treat you yes. as something special because they don't. And I put a lot of time into West Australia. I toured right along the coast and doing all sorts of horrible hotels and venues, but <clears throat> they, mm. got to, they got to know me from working hard over there and mm. now it's paying off but uh gee you know my favorite venues are just the big ones i guess you know like twin towns in in tweed heads i like the casino in melbourne which mm. i'm about to do actually a couple of nights there mm-hmm. but and and the big festivals you know going to tamworth every year and blues fest is always fantastic i did that this year yeah, mm. it was postponed twice, I think. It's, it's the variety that makes it interesting, I think, you know, the variety mm. of audiences. I, I, I guess I don't enjoy clubs as much as I do the theatres. John, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the act of creation. I know everyone approaches it differently and everyone has different methodology. Where do the songs come from? <laughs> do you think, so True Blue, where does that come from? Do you hear a melody and start to put words to it? Do you find words and think that would make a, or a phrase and think I can build a song around that? Is it a conscious act for you or do they just pop into your head? Uh, well, the melody is the easy part. I think it's a good idea. That's the hard part. You know, it was John Singleton and wanted a song called True Blue for a TV show he had very briefly. It was called True Blue Aussies or something. That's when he wanted to use it for the bias training campaign. But um, uh, True Blue, I, well, I just sat in the backyard in the suburbs of Sydney and sat out in the backyard around a table and asked myself, what is True Blue? So if you listen to the words, it's really asking the question. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it? Is it me and you? Is it mum and dad? Is it a cockatoo? Because I'm obviously into the bush. You know, what is it that's Australian? And that's how the song came about, just asking the question. Is that the case for most of the songs you write? Is that the way you write them? Yeah. Or do others just take over and just come out fully formed? Well, it's a good idea that comes out. You know, I, I stood out in the veranda up at Springbrook, which is where I'm talking about up above the Gold Coast, and I sat out and it had been raining about three inches of 
you know, I had an enamel cup sitting on the veranda. It was filling up every day. You know, that's inches every day, three or four inches every day. And mm. I, I, and I just said, I said, when, when, um, I can't believe it's raining again. I just said to myself, and I thought that could be a title. And I, I wrote, a, that's the latest song mm. I've actually released. And then I started thinking mm-hmm. about how that has affected the farmers, how it's affected the people on the rivers at Lismore and Brisbane and all the rest of it. So there was plenty to write about once I came up with that line, you know. So And all the, all the thoughts I had about also being involved in floods on the land because I'm an ex-farmer. So all those things come flooding back, you know. So oh, what's another example of Kuta Mundrawattle? I, I, that's one of my most popular songs. I was in the backyard smelling the Cootamundra wattle that was in the backyard. And it took me back to my mother. who used to take me out at Quambatook to an area outside town that was at uh, certain times of the year when the blossoms were out, all the wildflowers. And uh, it took me back to that. It actually was about my uh, my wife at the time going through all the camphor box, looking at all the booties and getting a bit, the baby's booties and things and getting a bit sad about how they've grown up. So you never know what's going to come into your mind once you start, really. Mm-hmm. I, I've thought to myself, you know, if Dorothy and McKellar were alive, oh, you'd make a great songwriting couple, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> you really would. Well, I gave her a plug in Galleries of Pink Glass, you know, so I mentioned one of her lines, you know. I know you have a fabulous family of Meg and uh, Georgie and Amy, and I know Amy reasonably well. I, I just a little lovely piece of information here. Each year, the the performers who've been to conflicts, war zones over the last few years march on Anzac Day. And uh, very proudly, several years ago, marched Amy Williamson, who'd been to the Middle East. Mm. And uh, she was very pregnant. (laughs) I think that might have been, we were so proud of her and so happy. And so are all the soldiers in surrounding groups. They thought it was Absolutely marvellous that um, this young Australian performer would still march on Anzac Day. So please give her my love. Well, uh, to coincidence, I've only just spent, uh, I had dinner with her last night. So uh, with both my, both my girls. So I don't get a chance to see them as much as I, I would like with my grandkids. Yeah. But a- Amy's um, gone through a tough time in this business because once w- she's still, mm. it's still early days for her in a lot of ways. And um, once she's established like you and me, it's not so hard to get the work, mm, I guess. Mm, but. Um, mm bit tough when you're not up the top yet, you know. Yeah, tough times for many people at the moment with venues mm. closing down during COVID, not reopening. But no. uh, we just hope that we're all around, or as in particular the younger performers, that they'll be around in time to get all that great work that we've had over the years. Yes, I think mm. we've been through a lucky period, you know, with the, My the club scene getting stronger. I, I mean, I, I shouldn't knock the clubs because that's where I built my career, really. It was, that's where all the work was, you know. And uh, now the theatres have popped up all on one coast, mm-hmm. especially. And um, so many towns have got good theatres now. You mm-hmm. don't, don't need the clubs. But, but mm-hmm. really, uh, without the clubs, I, I probably would have gone back to farming, you know. <laughs> that's an interesting point, John. So apart from venues and different venues developing, what, what are the changes you've seen during your career? What are the significant changes that have happened within the music industry that you can look back on? Uh, well, Lex, I think probably, and I th- I'd like to think I've been part of it, I think our music industry is more Australian and it is getting more Australian as time goes on. You know, you get rappers using Aussie accents now, you know. <laughs> And, and I know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I have some young fellows say, come up, but they say the way I've done my stuff has influenced them. And I, that makes me feel very proud, you know. So, because, you know, when Patricia and I were going through the industry, like go back to the early days of, um, of Countdown, uh, I don't know, Patricia might have even done it, mimed overseas yep. artists, mimed them, or that, oh. let alone do covers, they mimed mm. them. Mm. Wow, wow. We didn't have the confidence way back then, no. but um, gosh, we certainly gained some healthy confidence and, and forged and formed our own careers despite oh, yeah. the Americans, really. Well, well now we're, we've got an Australian style of rock and roll, really, ACDC right. and all the rest of it, you know, mm. uh, uh, Midnight Oil. But that, mm. that just didn't exist in the early days. And, uh, you know, and of course, a lot of the country singers used to have the American accent. That's changed a lot, you know. Isn't it great? Yeah. Isn't that great when you hear our country singers sing 
just how they talk and instead of ask, it's ask and, yeah, yeah. it's all terrific. It's we'll wonderful. About honky-tonk. But certainly one of the <laughs> things I love about your your music, John, is that, is that suddenly we're talking about places that I can relate to, Cootamundra, the Mallee. <laughs> Um, you know, instead of Tennessee and Memphis exactly, and, yeah. and Nashville. Gr- new Grand Ole Opry, as though we're meant to be relating to these things. And it's, <laughs> and it's the idiomatic Australianness. And we've got just as much a right about as they have, you know. like a, Absolutely. That's it. That's, Absolutely. You know, every part of Australia is different and the people that come out of those different areas are different too, you know. You, you can almost pick a South Aussie, especially, say, compared to oh, a yeah. n- North North Queensland and the South Aussie. Yeah, yeah. But I feel very lucky that the period I've been been writing over the 52 years, I've been able to write about towns that have never been in a song before, you know. So Mm. it was all new ground and I was able to um, be in there first, if you like. Like Mm. Mm Raining on the Rock, for instance, you know, no, I'd really written a song with a little ruin it almost, you know. I, I just want to give the gig you do at your place up on the Gold Coast a plug and how often do you open your shed for one of a, for people to come in and hear you sing and look at all your memorabilia? Is that an annual event or how often does that happen? Most of them, they keep coming back. <laughs> That's good. It's only 200 each day, you know, so I only do it one weekend a year. Oh, know, wow. And, and because only 200 at a time, it's very personal and, and the, uh, the the really hardcore fans turn up. They come from West Australia everywhere, even from overseas. So, um, Oh, yeah, that's beautiful stuff, and I, yeah. And I have about 20 mates that just come along and help because they love being there anyway. I think if we put John Williamson into our Google, we'll find out where you are, <laughs> won't we? We'll, we'll no find problems. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what a lovely way that uh, – once a year thing. I mean, you can watch each other grow up or grow old, however you want to call it. It's lovely, really lovely stuff. It'll be my last gig when I do my last gig. It'll be in that shed for sure, mm. you know, because mm. it's, mm. it's, it's where I want to be. <laughs> well, hopefully that's a, that's a way off, yeah. John, <laughs> when you reflect, uh, who, who are the artists who have influenced you? Who's, you know, what's the, what's the song that you thought, Jesus, that's a good song, I wish I'd written it? Yeah. Do you ever have those kind of moments when, when you look back and think, He's a great artist or she's a great artist and I've learned a lot from them unconsciously or otherwise? Well, uh, initially what really got me going was was Joan Baez and Pete Seeger and Bob Dylan, all that mm. period. And, uh, you know, Bob Dylan particularly has a, a, a wonderful way of lyric that, that taught me a lot, I think. As far as song goes, well, Stan Costa, who wrote 77 songs for Slim, uh, you know, listen to his stuff mm. was so parochial and so, you know, songs like Fire of Gidgey Coles, uh, uh, Three Rivers Hotel, Short of a Quid, that's a beauty, you know. Um, mm. And they're all so Aussie, you know. He and I got on really well because he could see I was carrying the, the flag on with him or the, the flame on, if you like, you know, from him. I could see the success of Slim and, and Buddy and, and the people like that. I could see that they were getting through to Aussies, you know, especially in the bush, and how how much uh, how many devoted fans they had, and that was because they were singing about who we are. Mm. So that was a big influence, and I've always, you know, if anyone asks me what's, what's the secret of my success, it's been just being honest, being who I am mm. and singing mm. about it, you know. Just by the way, another little tidbit, uh, Bob Dylan is currently touring America, and I, uh, the tour is spasmodically going for months and months yeah. and he's only about 80 <laughs> 81 or 82 it's pretty good huh don't hang up those guitars yet yeah well uh, i mean while i'm sure you feel the same that uh, while you can do a good job that's that's a hard drug to kick you know you, you really just want to um yeah because you get so much back from the audience you sure do and, you, and uh, they come up after the show and say how you know you make them feel good I get young blokes to reckon I've, I've helped them get through their hard times and all this sort of stuff. Well, mm. you mm. can't stop doing it while while it's working. Mm. But if I start forgetting all my lyrics and, mm. and get too much arthritis in my fingers, I'll have to give it away. Mm. But it's a matter of slowing down a bit maybe, but I can't re- actually see myself retiring completely, no. even if I end up in some little gig down the road, you know. We have the great privilege of uh, of it's not being work, of where we're actually – lucky enough to do something we love doing. Mm. Yep. You know, when you think of a, half the world hasn't got any employment whatsoever and they, a lot of the ones that are employed are in jobs they hate doing, how, how lucky are we? Mm. Exactly. Yeah, it's like uh, working all week because you're waiting for the weekend. That's not the way to live. That means like 
five seventh of your life, you're not really enjoying it, you know. <laughs> we are a bit too lucky. As long as audiences want to hear us and see us and as long as mm. our work is enjoyable and still a challenge, I think that's important that each performance is still a challenge, well, to me anyway. As long as, long as we don't have, a, have to have an injection to do the show. I just saw Elvis, the Elvis movie and it was quite sad. John, on a, on a broader level, how do you, do you, do you maintain good social connections? Is that important to you uh, outside of work? I live live to get with my mates, you know. So I'm contacting them all every day, you know, uh, sharing jokes. And um, I might send a mate a song before anyone else hears it, you know. I mean, John Laws is a good example. He'll get the song first every time because we've been good mates for so long. He plays it without even listening, you know. <laughs> he got a bit of a shock when I sent him vasectomy song a few while ago. But um, <laughs> having friends, you know, I'm sure you're, most people agree that... Uh, you know, you gotta you gotta share your life with other people. You know, that's mm. that's what keeps you going. You know, sharing mm. laughs and even when you're feeling a bit bit off, you know, you, you can you gotta have someone to share it with, other than your than your your partner. You know, I think. Wow, well said. Thanks for joining us today thanks, on um, on Baby Boomer's Guide, and more importantly, thanks for the decades of entertainment and joy and uh, thought you've provoked with us. Thank you for that uh, and the contribution you've made. Thanks so much. Thanks, Lex. I'm actually here under false pretenses, you know, because I was I was born just before the baby boomers, apparently. Oh, that's all right. We, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Doesn't the baby boomers start at the November the 11th, 1945? Because that's when it the does, war ended. But well, I was born on the 1st of November, 1945. <laughs> You're in. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm, I'm ten, 10 days of cheat here. So Yeah, good on you. <laughs> Thank you, John. Lovely to see Thanks, you. Thanks, John. See you later. All nice, the best, John. Nice to talk to you. See you, Trish. See ya. Bye. And now it's time for Money Extra, where an expert on a particular finance topic gives us a brief life lesson on money. Hi, I'm Rachel Waterhouse from the Australian Shareholders Association, and it's a great pleasure to be talking today in the Money Extra segment of the Baby Boomers Guide podcast. I would like to talk to you today about how to buy shares. You can select a stockbroker or an online trading platform to buy and sell shares. A stockbroker comes at a higher cost and can provide you with advice and an online trading platform allows you to directly buy and sell shares at a lower cost. When choosing an online platform, you may want to consider the fees, the ease of platform use, the ease of cash transfer and trading limits. Your time is better spent on researching and selecting a good company to invest in for the long term than saving a few dollars on your brokerage. Past performance is not a guide for future performance. Look for companies likely to do well over the long term and historically shares have increased in value over time. Some things that I look for when deciding to invest in a company, a history of consistent earnings growth and improving returns, a strategy that will deliver continued growth, a skilled and experienced board and management team, and good cash flow generation. I personally look for great performing companies, followed by dividends that can be reinvested to build my portfolio over the long term. First-time investors need to be prepared that they are taking a risk with shares and realise that share prices can go up and they can fall. Historically, share prices have grown on average by 9% per annum over the past 10 years. This has been higher than keeping your cash in the bank. Many investors diversify their share portfolio through a selection of Australian and international shares across different sectors. You can find more information about investing through the government's MoneySmart website, the ASX website, and the Australian Shareholders Association website where you can sign up for the weekly email. And now it's time for Stepping Out, where we speak with older people from around Australia, showcasing their communities and community radio stations and telling us why you might want to visit sometime. Today, we're stepping out all the way across the Nullarbor to meet Lowell Winchcombe, when a community radio station ditched 20 of its volunteers a couple of decades back. One of them was the inimitable Lowell Winchcombe. Rather than bemoan her lot, Lowell went out and started her own radio station. So there. And so was born (laughs) Capital Community Radio in Perth, a station devoted to senior listeners. Oh, that's our kind of station. 
Lowell wrangles some 90 volunteers at the station and presents Swingin' Down the Lane, a show dedicated to the golden years of radio and film. Lowell's first experience behind a microphone was for the Flying Doctor Service in Kalgoorlie. Lowell, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's lovely being here and, of course, the most lovely part is being all part of Capital Radio. Before we get to Capital Radio, I'm, I'm intrigued about uh, working for the Flying Doctor Service. What was that about? Well, my husband was the mining registrar in Kalgoorlie during the mining boom and all that jazz. And uh, we moved there from Leonora to Kalgoorlie. And, of course, one of my lovely friends thought I would do rather well on the radio. And he said, come and work for the Flying Doctor Service. So I went up, had an interview. And the next day, I was on air. Doing what? Well, he was talking to all the outback, giving them their weather every day, taking medical calls, and then locking in my doctor on the radio to talk to them. Wow. And that was rather exciting. And, of course, in those days, the only way that they could really do a medical was with a whistle and a low blow and, um, and a high beam. And, of course, by doing that, then at night time, They'd get through to the police station who would ring me up. I would drive to the radio station and then link doctor to talk to them. Oh, amazing. Fantastic. But they were, darling, they, they were olden days. I mean, now, of course, they're just so modern, so marvelously set up. You know, some of the, the kids of today wouldn't even know about the whistle. That's the, you know, oh, that they did nice. with the flying doctor service. Yeah, must have given hell to the dogs in the neighbourhood. <laughs> yeah. We love the fact that you didn't let sleeping dogs lie and you went out and started Capital Radio. How did that happen and how did you staff it and fund it? When we moved from Perth, from Kalgoorlie down to Perth, my mum said to me, if you're missing your radio so much, why don't you apply to this other station? which I did, and I was there for eight years with my lovely girlfriend, Jeanette. And, of course, we were doing, it was called Memory Lane, playing all the beautiful old music that you don't hear much of now, the Glenn Millers, the Benny Goodmans, the Cab mm. Calloways and all that, you know, and we used to do that for three hours. And then in their wisdom, these people decided that, no, tickly-boo, off you go, we don't need you, and they went into the 70s and 80s music. So as uh, we walked out of there, I linked arms with Jeanette and I said, to hell with a lot of them, let's go and open our own station. She thought I was playing the fool, but I wasn't at all. Uh, anyway, that's exactly what we did. And now we've got 80-odd, um, yes. So uh, we're Tickle Pink and got some beautiful volunteers working for us. What an adventure. Wow. You certainly taught those bloody young people a lesson. Yeah. Well, I think, hey, kiddo, I think we certainly did. And we're still playing all that beautiful old old music, you know, no no, no problem at all. What's the reach of, of your radio station, your signal? Who, who do you get to in Perth? Well, at the moment, we're, we're right in the middle of doing a survey. They, they tell us the last one, we had about 200,000 listeners per month. But we don't Ooh. really know. You know, well, we go out of Perth. Down to Mantua and to to Bunbury. That's oh, you know wow. way down there. Yeah, yeah. So we're certainly going out, and of course we're on digital. We're going around the world. I've got some lovely listeners from Montreal and Kansas and Singapore who keep keep in touch with us all the time. They send emails and sometimes oh. even ring. And of course we've got people ringing from England too, which is rather gorgeous. And you're still playing that wonderful swinging music from those beautiful we eras. Are. Yes. Keep it alive, and it's amazing when younger people are introduced to that music. Those people who haven't heard it before, they fall in love with it too. Absolutely. Well, well, look at Rod Stewart. Look at Williams. All of them, they're singing our damn music. That I know, Michael you know? Bublé. You know, <laughs> even Bob Dylan did a, an album of old Frank Sinatra songs. Yeah. So there. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Look, no, no, no problem at all. So we're mm-hmm. we're tickle pink that we're flying the flag, and by George, we're doing it well too. Uh, <laughs> what's the seniors community like in your area? Are they as alive as you are? Well, thank God, I hope so. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes, but but we've got we've got a lot of younger listeners too. Oh, that's great. The music's going out to all our young ones too. You know. 
which is all mm. lovely. That's the main thing. But you're very switched on. Well, you sort of have to be, don't you, to mm. help run a radio station. If we came and visited you and your area, quite apart from listening to your wonderful program, your wonderful radio, what could we do? Where would we go that you would recommend? We are right in the middle of Wireless Hill Park, and mm. it's a beauty. It's about 40 hectares park. And we're right in the middle. And during the war, the First World War and the Second World War, it was a wireless station and it was and it's all heritage listed, of course. Oh. And owned and operated by the Australasian Wireless Company on behalf mm. of the PMG department, apparently. And of mm. course, they stood you know, it was a service to all the shipping and quite often they used to do medicals too and relay to the ships and things like that if anyone was, you know, ill. So it was, and, and we've got lots of wildflowers. Hey, visit in September. All our wildflowers are out. They're oh, rather yes, gorgeous beautiful. too. <laughs> yes. Do you broadcast 24 hours a day? Yes, we certainly do. We go from 6 in the morning, starting with our breakfast boys and our producers. And then we go to 11 o'clock at night. And then, of course, we go on a computer, mm. uh, who we lovingly call... Conrad, and Conrad plays till 6 o'clock the next morning. Fantastic. I hope you can fit us into your schedule. Absolutely, we will, happily, no problem at all. Good on you. That's good to know, because you sound just the sort of person that uh, baby boomers would love to hear, and I know that they'd, um, I think they'd like to hear us too on your station. That would be good. Uh, How many hours do you do straight? You do so many hours. Um, how many do you do straight? I do three hours straight of a Monday morning from mm-hmm. 9 to 12. Mm-hmm. But I also look after the rosters. I'm volunteer coordinator. So if anyone's sick, well, I get the first phone call. And mm-hmm. then I sort of run around trying to find um, the right voice, the right, right person to take that job. But everybody's got a job. And God bless all the volunteers, of course. Nobody gets paid. You know, they're all volunteers, which is absolutely lovely, really. So that's something we're very proud of, Mm. that, you know, we don't have to pay anyone at all. And, of course, we're lucky having fabulous technicians. I mean, they they certainly keep us going. Essential, absolutely essential. So, Lowell, what's the the format? Is it all old-time music or is there some a bit of a mix? Do you have talk shows? Do you have – what else do you have? We start with breakfast, then we've got swinging down the lane, afternoon gold, all the hits of the 50s and 60s, and then you've got cruising. Cruising and breakfast sort of go hand in hand because that's your boppy music. And then we've got, we've got specialties, six to eight of night. We've got cocktails. We've got a country program. And, of course, we have two fabulous programs of a Tuesday and a Thursday where we have classics. Oh. So it's a completely classical program. And do you do you do you play musicals? Do you do the old time musicals? You know the Rodgers and Hammerstein, the Jerome Kern. Yes, we play all the absolutely, absolutely oh, fantastic. And and well, we play all the musicals. You see, so of mm. course it's all their music coming into it. Mm-mm. But I mean, you show me a song that didn't come in some movie. You know, That's no, right. you well, Pat, you'd know with all your musical yeah. background. For sure. I do. Come and visit. We'd love to have you visit us. We oh, okay. Will. It's a day. We have a terrific mantra, terrific saying with our program, and it sounds like you're well and truly there. It's get connected and stay connected. And and it's fantastic that you're there and you've introduced so many volunteers to that way of life and um, they sounds like they're thrilled to be working with you. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm rather one of the quiet ones who got them really noisy ones, which is all this. I've always said, I've always said old age is, you know, and that people say, how old are you? And I said, darling, that's my own business. Nothing to do with you. And and it's only a numbers thing anyway. It is a number. I had an auntie that forever in her life said she was, when asked that question, she'd say, I'm 29 and some months. And I thought that was a good answer. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I was 40 for many years. Until yeah, my gorgeous eldest son turned forty, and mm. then he said, "Mum, it's getting embarrassing. You better go up, go up a bit." <laughs> well, Lol, you may be surprised to know that uh, a couple of years ago I turned thirty for the fortieth time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
Have I told the ages of our gorgeous volunteers? No, what are their ages? From the 30s, and I've got a fabulous gentleman of 90 <gasps> doing our jazz program. Oh, wow, that would yes, be great. Absolutely, yes, absolutely fabulous. 90 years young. You know, get, getting old, not, not, not for us. No, no not at all. The ground, no. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Lol, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's uh, wonderful to chat to you, and I'll be tuning into Capital Radio. Sounds exactly like oh. our kind of station. Thank you for calling. Thank My you. Bye. All the best. Bye-bye, darling. See Bye. you Bye-bye. soon. Bye. Well, Patricia, that's that's the end. We've gone through another hour of top-class entertainment. But I love it, don't you? Don't you love who we present and, yes, absolutely. and the subjects? We're very oh, fortunate. No. What's on next week? Well, Understanding Residential Aged Care with Craig Gear, and, and this has been a request for so many people. We mm. speak about aged care a lot, but Craig Gear is very much the maestro of it, so he'll take us through. And in Nostalgia Town, who's taking us there, Patricia? Oh, a wonderful senior person, inimitable, delightful. Mm. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of all the words. Many people love her. I do. Val Fell. Oh, yes, fantastic. Yeah. And Tracy West will talk to us about elder financial abuse, a serious topic. It's not a nice topic, but it's a good one to discuss. Yes, indeed. And then we'll step out into regional Victoria with Gary Havrilay. Three double BR. Good on you, Gaz. All that's coming up next week. See ya. Baby Boomer's Guide to Life is produced on the Gadigal and Wongal lands of the Eora Nation in association with the Older Women's Network. Baby Boomer's Guide is funded by the Extra Foundation, which works to ensure that more Australians are confident making money decisions today and into the future. You can find out more by going to extra.org.au. That's E-C-S-T-R-A dot org.au. And don't forget, if you've missed any episodes, catch up on your favourite podcast app and online at babyboomersguide.com.au. Plus... You can join the conversation and have your say on our Baby Boomers Guide to Life Facebook page. Your Baby Boomers Guide to Life hosts are Senior Influencers of the Year, Patricia, Little Paddy Amphlet, and me, Big Lex Marinos. Get Get connected connected and stay stay connected. connected.